Romans 7, beginning at verse 14. This is God's holy and infallible word. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. That's God's word for us tonight. Uh, you may remember we're continuing in, a sec in this section from two weeks ago. We had a little break in Romans last week, Sunday night, for the big Memorial Day hymn sing. Two weeks ago, we read Romans 7, 7 through 13. And like I had said at that time, my plan was to move quickly through verses 7 through 13 and then focus on this part, especially a couple weeks ago in the sermon. That was, in my mind, uh, the, the more important and the interesting part of the end of chapter 7. But then, then it seemed to me that there were some very important matters that, that Paul wanted us to hear in verses 7 through 13. And a couple weeks ago and continue through tonight, some of the comments by Pastor Tim Keller, he's a Presbyterian pastor in Manhattan, his comments were very helpful a couple weeks ago and continued through to the end of chapter 7. We could say that those verses two weeks ago are an invitation, in a sense, for all of us to rejoice and give thanks to God for his law. There's a lot in there about his law. We can give thanks and rejoice because God uses the law, God uses the commandments to bring us into battle with our sinful nature. And that's good because then we know we need Jesus. It's good 
Because then we turn to Jesus and he can give us a new heart. And when that happens, when we have that new heart, that battle against sin and the old nature in our hearts and lives can begin. And this is a battle we want to be engaged in. This is a battle we want to fight because the alternative to this battle is to live at peace with sin and to be content with it and to just submit to Satan as our master. And that, of course, would be disastrous to live that way. You think of of World War II in our country's decision to enter into that war, it became very obvious that this was a battle we needed to fight against Japan and Germany. The alternative, peace with those nations, that was no real alternative, right? It would have been disastrous. They would have taken over more and more territory, ruled those territories with their evil fists, killing more and more people. The genocide would expand. In a similar way, this battle that Scripture talks of against our sinful nature, it must be waged. To live at peace with Satan and sin instead of battling sin, that's no real option because it will take us down, even leading to ultimate judgment in hell, according to God's word. And so that section, verses 7 through 13, on the law bringing us into battle should make us rejoice, thankful that God gives us his law and commands and makes us aware of the struggle against sin that we need to wage. But now, the next verses... If those should cause us to rejoice, these next verses should cause us to be aware, be vigilant, because this war that Scripture talks about is never totally won in our lifetime. So that's kind of a discouraging Discovery, in a sense, but I believe it gives us a biblical and realistic view of even saved people. Verses 14 and following show us the nature of the battle and the struggle with sin that God's law reveals to us and introduces. There's a big question that's asked um, about these verses. And Christians differ on the answer. There are a lot of Christians who go one way, and there are a lot of Christians who go another way. And as you know, there are things in Bible and interpretation that we respectfully may disagree with brothers and sisters on. This is one of those. And I want to lay out what it is and, and how I come down. The big question is, in all these verses, Paul Is Paul talking about himself before he was a Christian? Or is Paul talking about himself as a believer? A lot of people think this is Paul referring to himself before he came to know Jesus. Because of how strong 
He talks how strong sin is still in his life. They say this couldn't be a believer speaking. You know, Paul says stuff like, I am unspiritual. Paul says, I'm sold as a slave to sin. And yeah, I mean, a Christian isn't a slave to sin, is he? And Paul talks about sinning regularly in verse 15. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. And then he says in verse 18, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. So he's saying he's having a lot of trouble doing good. And and so some people say he sounds like a non-Christian here. This is Paul talking about his life before knowing Jesus. But I'm going to disagree with that. I'm with those who say that this is Paul talking about himself as a Christian and showing us just how much our struggle with sin can remain. I'll tell you, most sort of Reformed and Presbyterian interpreters by far take it the way I'm going. Um, In general, Reformed people don't have a super optimistic view of human nature and maybe not even as optimistic view of saved human nature as some of our fellow brothers and sisters. But I think there are reasons beyond being Reformed, and that's what pretty much all Reformed people think. There's some reasons in the text that we're talking about the converted Paul. They're going to give you three, and then we're going to talk about this a little bit. There's a move from talking in the past tense, in verses 7 through 13, Paul's talking in the past, and then starting in verse 14, Talking about this struggle with sin, he's talking in the present tense. And so the natural reading seems to be that he's talking about himself today, right now as he's writing. Also, we read in verse 22 that Paul delights in God's law. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. Now, how could an unbeliever delight in God's law? In the next chapter, verse 7, Paul says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So to me, that's a pretty strong argument that these verses can't be about a non-believer. Also, Paul admits in these verses that he's a lost sinner. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Verse 18. It seems to me that unbelievers aren't aware of being lost and they're not aware that they're so sinful that they can't save themselves. And so for these reasons and some others, I believe this is the converted Paul. This is Paul belonging to Jesus. And if you think about it, this is Paul, a mature believer. He's writing in the present tense, We've seen what he's written in Romans up until now, some pretty incredible, deep stuff. He knows the faith. He knows our need for Jesus. He knows salvation. So if Paul's not a mature believer here, you know, I don't know who is a mature believer. So not only is he 
writing as a believer, I believe, but as a mature Christian. So what does that tell us? What is God's word telling us? I believe God is teaching us that we have in our lives an ongoing struggle, a real battle on our hands, in our lives, in our hearts. On the one side, yes, we identify with the law of God. We know it's spiritual, verse 14. We want to keep it, verse 15 and verse 18. We agree that the law is good, verse 16. But there's that other side still. We sometimes want something else. We have that tendency towards sin, too, and it can pull at us. Kind of the big question is, what is our true self now? And, and what do we want most between these two sides pulling, these, these two natures? And for a Christian, that is settled. We want ultimately the Lord and his ways. There remains the powerful force of sin and rebellion, but that's not the real you anymore. That's not the real me, verse 20. It's no longer I who do it. That's not really me, but it's sin living in me. The new me, the true me in Jesus seeks God loves his law, loves his holiness, although sin remains in us, sometimes with some strength that we're surprised at, it does not totally control our personality and our lives as believers. But Paul's words are warning us there's, there's a powerful center of sin still remaining in us this side of heaven. It's so strong I mean, Paul almost sounds defeated by the sin. He says, I'm unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. One reason why Paul could be so negative sounding about a believer's progress here is, is to realize that he's talking and writing from a certain perspective. He's saying, I believe that in ourselves, even as Christians, we can't keep God's law. Unbelievers can't keep God's law, but neither can believers perfectly. You notice in these verses, he says, I a lot, and me. And I believe he wants to see that in ourselves, even as Christians, we don't arrive. And we shouldn't live as if we have. I and me on our own, we're in trouble. We cannot make the mistake of depending on me for our salvation in the first place or for our obedience and living for Jesus. So, so this tells us that not a single person gets so advanced in the Christian life that they no longer have to deal with sin. Not even a guy like Paul, even the most mature of believers, however you define spiritual maturity, even the most mature believer needs Jesus and his grace desperately. If we ever think we're over sin, if we ever feel ourselves, you know what? 
I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good here. I've got this sin kind of figured out. I'm making progress here. It, to come at it with that kind of attitude, to think, you know, man, I, I'm getting this, this living for Jesus thing really figured out. Well, we're putting ourselves in a bit of danger if we let our guard down. In fact, the more mature and spiritually discerning we get, I believe, the more we will see the sin in our hearts. Maybe sins that 10 years ago never pricked us as we become closer to Jesus. Like, oh, that's a problem in that corner of my heart that I, I wasn't even aware of. The more holy we become, the less holy we will feel, you might say. Even when we know and we see ourselves making progress against bad habits and attitudes, we're also at the same time going to grow more aware of, of rebellious and, and sinful and selfish roots that still remain within us. I believe these are the sorts of things that, that Paul's words here are bringing to us. And so we should expect a continuing battle with our sinful nature. You know, they say a wounded bear is more dangerous than a happy and healthy one. And so the sinful nature could be more stirred up and active because of that mortal wound that our new birth in Jesus gives sin. John Owen wrote this, and I'm just going to read it. As a man nailed to the cross, he first struggles and strives and cries out with great strength and might, though as his blood and his life waste, his strivings are faint and seldom. So when a Christian first sets on a lust or a sin to deal with it, it can struggle with great violence to break loose. It cries this sin with earnestness and impatience to be satisfied and relieved. It may have a dying pang, so it's actually dying, but it may have a dying pang that makes an appearance of great vigor and strength in our heart and life, but it is quickly over, especially if it be kept from considerable success. As believers, when we struggle with sin, we can think that we must be just terrible people, very wicked, so immature that we as believers are still wrestling with sin like that. But Romans 7 encourages us that temptation and conflict with sin, and even sometimes relapses into sin. You know what? That is all consistent with being a growing Christian. Even for very mature Christians like Paul, sin rears its head, sometimes very strongly in our lives. And so Paul ends this section with what a wretched man 
I am. And I believe looking at God's word and law properly and our own life properly, we can only conclude the same thing. Paul says, who can rescue me? The answer is Jesus. The work of salvation from sin has to come from outside of us. And we continue to depend on Jesus for our life of obedience. We are wretched in a sense, but God is not. We look to him for the answer, for the victory. Jesus will return at the end of time. The tempter, Satan, will no longer be able to tempt. That old man of sin in us will be completely killed, not just wounded. Hallelujah. The temptations from the world will be gone because the world is going to be renewed into a new heavens and a new earth. And as believers, we long for that ultimate Victory. Two brief takeaways. This first is something I think I've been saying all along. I want to say it in a little different way. Depend on the Lord in this battle. Not on I and me, on Him. And and do that by depending on the Holy Spirit day by day. On Pentecost last week, we talked about the benefits of the spirit that are ours because of Pentecost. God doesn't just have a trickle of blessings for us, but he has an outpouring. So depend on God for your day-to-day struggle in life by calling out to his spirit for power, for counsel, for strength and courage in the fight. He has abundant blessings for us, enough to carry us through to the very end and day by day by day. Believe that. Second, as Paul concludes, what a wretched man that I am, we conclude the same thing about ourselves in regards to sin. And to take it one more step, we realize that this struggle of sin is something that the people sitting next to you in church have. Your spouse, your friends, people that you are close to, our fellow brothers and sisters, as we must live by grace alone because of our great need that Paul is just impressing upon us once again. May we extend God's grace to those around us who struggle in the battle as well. You remember those those guys, the Pharisees in the New Testament, and, and Jesus talks about how they missed the boat in a lot of ways. One of those ways was pointing the finger at others, looking for the sin in people or looking down on people because of it. And it's very possible for us to do that in life too. Look at that sinner. Oh my, how terrible. What a, you know. But the very fact that we need so much grace from God means everyone around us does. And that should make us very patient 
and gracious toward other people. It should make us sympathetic with fellow believers and the struggles with sin. Not harsh people, not impatient, but kind, loving, full of grace. Yes, we call out sin for sin, and we need to do that. But you know what I'm saying, I believe. And so, soldiers of Jesus, onward. As you battle on, rejoice in the victories, Turn to Jesus ever again in the failures. Stand on the promises. Live by grace alone. Extend that grace to those around us who are struggling in the battle against sin too. And and look, all of us, toward the ultimate victory, one on the cross and the empty tomb that will be fully and perfectly ours one day when Jesus returns or calls us home. Amen?